Welcome to another episode of Sunny Side Up. And today is our first guest of 2021. And it is the most perfect guest I could think of for to kick things off in the new year. His name is Clint Freaks, and he is the founder of Sedona Sacred Earth. He is a sun dancer, a Native American church member, a poet, a writer, and a ceremonialist. And what's so exciting to me is that this is actually the first conversation I have ever had with him. So you get to be a part of this first ever conversation with Clint, and that's pretty darn cool. So whatever Clint is willing to share with us today, we get to be a part of it together. So welcome, Clint. Thank you for being on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Happy New Year to you and everybody listening. Absolutely. Good. Okay, so tell us, where are you calling in from? Calling in from Sedona, Arizona, which is uh, north central Arizona, between uh, Phoenix and Flagstaff, uh, up in the high transitional desert, oh, about 4,500 feet above sea level. Uh, All turquoise skies today, about 45 degrees, a crisp high desert day. Sounds amazing, especially to us Michiganders who are looking at white and a little gray. (laughs) Bring on the turquoise. Yeah, well, we'll trade you. We're in a drought, so we'll swap anytime. Okay, well, there's blessings and and silver linings of all of it, right? So what took you, what brought you to Sedona? What took you out west? Well, uh, oh my goodness. Uh... I suppose it began uh, with my education in my uh, early 20s. After some time traveling the world quite a bit and really uh, at an early age, um, indulging in my love of sacred sites and uh, ceremonial culture, I I, I traveled around the world quite a bit and I was looking for a place to actually go to school. And I ended, and I was a poet, an aspiring poet, a beginning poet. I was very interested in Tibetan Buddhism. I was very interested in uh, Beat Generation writers. They had a huge, huge influence on my formative years of my intellect and I think my understanding of culture. So uh, uh, there was a, a Tibetan Buddhist founded school in Boulder, Colorado called uh, Naropa Institute, uh, also known as Naropa University now. And I enrolled there as a writing uh, major and um, I also uh, minored in Buddhist studies while I was there. Uh, so that brought me out to this neck of the woods. And then I met a girl. <laughs> and her mom lived uh, here in Sedona. So we used to travel quite a bit to meet the would-be mom-in-law in Sedona. And uh, Quick Gloss uh, had a series of what I would call highly transformative spiritual experiences in the uh, among the sacred sites of this area that honestly set, set a lifelong journey in motion, uh, which uh, has been a, a, a continuing process to this day. So was that unexpected for you? I mean, did you expect to go out to Sedona and stay? And did you kind of like plan that path or was it more unexpected? I had heard about it, you know, that, and uh, back then Sedona wasn't was kind of undiscovered. It's a big deal now. Like everybody in the world comes here, four and a half million people a year. Back then, 
it was a little bit more of a secret still, though not completely. But uh, I had heard wonderful stories of uh, just tremendous spiritual power out here. And of course, the in-laws and the relatives were telling me I needed to come out. And almost as soon as I came out here, I started uh, guiding people on land journeys. <laughs> um, that's kind of how I got to know the area was to decide uh, well, I had better, you know, learn the plants. I had better learn the rocks. I had better learn the culture. I had better uh, uh, really create an intimate and personal connection with these places so as to just maybe share some of the insights and opportunities that, um, through the grace of God, you know, uh, arrived my way that were uh, definitive in, in really my, my, my adult identity and my, my course of life. So... Sedona Sacred Earth came to life. That is your, you are the founder, that is your business. And that came to life through these journeys that you were taking and through your adventures and travels and everything that you were learning about yourself. When was um, Sedona Sacred Earth founded? Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, really, you know, it, it was uh, the first incarnation of it was called Turtle Island Sacred Journeys in the uh, mid 90s. And I had worked uh, with a lot of different companies in town, um, giving medicine wheel teachings, uh, integration of, of Native and Western culture, uh, spiritual practice ceremony, and um, exploring the sacred sites of the Sedona area in northern Arizona at large. And um, at, after a while, I realized I had a certain niche, a certain a certain specialty uh, that I wanted to focus on, which has to do with spiritual vision, spiritual insight, um, deeper connection to one's conversation with one's own soul, that that um, this place uh, stimulates. There, there's there's something about, and and Sedona is not unique, but there's there's a there's a very predictable experience of people having. Uh, Unique and, and like unprecedented insights to, to to their own soul identity here. It's it's almost predictable, and it's so many different ways it can happen. So I started noticing patterns of process with people and, and predictable places where certain insights seem to occur, and studied it. You know, tried to come up with not not so much a formula, but the 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 most auspicious way to provide opportunities for people to get this. Uh, necessary spiritual nutrition that so many people crave and so many people seem to feel uh, mm, a, a need for increased connection to a, a deeper level of, of uh, their existence. Well, it's interesting that you bring up the word connection because I feel like we're coming out of a year where we really realized how much we need connection and craving that connection to loved ones and family, but bringing up the important point that connection is not just about external. It's that connection back inward to yourself and your soul and creating that connection also with the earth. And I was really excited and fascinated to talk with you about that because that's kind of a new area for me. Um, I know from my yoga mat, from getting down on my mat and connecting with my breath and my practice, but 
I've never firsthand experienced a journey of like, I've never done the Pacific Coast Trail or done any sort of spiritual hiking journey. So I can only imagine that, you know, you see it over and over again with people that come there and it's probably very life changing. Yes. And, and uh, the vast majority of the people in our culture are unnecessarily starved of direct and unmediated spiritual experience into the elemental realities of this creation. And by elemental realities, I mean the, the consciousness of the water, the consciousness of the stone, the consciousness of the plants and the green things, and the, the camaraderie and consciousness of connection with, with animals and, the, and other uh, kindred spirits in the hoop of life. So um, that you should bring up the, like, the, like the continuous exposure of the internal connection and then to come full circle with that, how it's linked and how we as humans are wired and designed to connect, uh, to come to a true discovery of our human nature. Um, there's no other way for us to understand ourselves than connection to this like myriad of, of, of relationships around us. Some of them are known and some of them are, are unknown at any given time. But I, I think the fruition, the flowering of our, our, our true human identity resides in endeavoring these intimate relationships with all beings around us. Um, and then in, in, in what's classically called, you know, animistic cultures of, of like the in indigenous uh, American people, um, there's, uh, there's, there's a whole journey that's kind of set out. It's sort of templated into the human package. And um, it was just simply part of human development for millennia and millennia and millennia. And only relatively recently in our human history has it become de-emphasized. Um, and I think people are starving for this primary relationship. And uh, we, find, we look for all these surrogates, you know, uh, but there's no substitute for a direct elemental connection to the spirit of the earth. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I want to um, double click on medicine wheel because <clears throat> you mentioned medicine wheel and the full circle of life. And could you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I went to your website and I saw there's a video on the medicine wheel. And for those that are listening that have never heard of that, can we talk about that for a moment? Yeah, you know, I think the first way I would discuss it is the most common misapprehension of what a medicine wheel is, because it seems like a lot of people have an idea. They see this structure of stones, you know, uh, often, you know, with the cross within the larger circle and at the hub and nexus of that cross, that smaller circle. And uh, I, I really make a point of de-emphasizing the structure uh, and, and the circle of stones that we build to kind of consecrate the earth for these meditation ceremonies and considerations and rather emphasize the philosophy that that structure entails. And, and more than anything else, it's a philosophy and it's an actualized human existence that's being indicated by that wheel, which is to say, uh, we're on a journey, you know, we're on a journey that has a beginning uh, whether you look at the mythological beginnings of the creation stories that try to explain the very formation 
of human and universal life or even the planet within the within the galaxy and, and the universe or you look at our beginnings as we popped out of our mothers and started this two-legged uh you know campaign uh, across all of these seasons of life that that denotes a life these are kind of parallel uh, concepts you know where, where in, in other words we exist on many planes at once and what the medicine wheel affords us is a multifaceted interpretation of that journey on, on really each and every level. Uh, so what it's really trying to do is illustrate for us or articulate for us a, a human design uh, that we frequently need to be reminded of because we can get really caught up in the minutiae of our responsibilities and really start living in an unnecessarily restricted human experience and unnecessarily limited human experience by forgetting you know by by entertaining this amnesia that that we are less connected than we really are and that is a source of illness that is a source of spiritual sickness ultimately and the only remedy for it and i think in the traditions you're involved with it's it's kind of built into uh there's a conscious reintegration of every aspect of the body and the breath and our positioning in space and time to reacquaint ourselves with these fundamental and foundational life-giving energies and refresh ourselves in that original template uh, so as to remain healthy, as to, as to remain human, to remain available to spiritual insight as a result. Previous guests on this show, we have talked about different tools in order to be the greatest version of ourselves. So all of us throughout life, uh, this lifetime at least, we discover these tools, whether it's hiking or yoga or breath work or therapy, uh, astrology, past life regression sessions, whatever it may be to get to the core of who we really are and the best version of ourself. And I would love to talk to you more about the tools that you have come across to reconnect ourselves with the greatest version of ourselves. And, you know, you were sharing with us about the medicine wheel and the purpose of the medicine wheel. Um, is that something that if people come to Sedona and sign up for one of your retreats. Is that something that they experience or is that something separate? I'm just not sure. Uh, I'm yeah. never, I never am far from the medicine wheel as a foundational a point of reflection, even if it's not entirely evident. So uh, the short answer is yes. I mean, if people have any interest uh, and, they're, and, and, and they're open to using that ceremonial uh, structure, uh, there's just no limit to what can be revealed. And we can go back several times a day or certainly every day and get a completely different reflection back um, on, on, on the, the prevailing questions that we bring in. And as humans, we do, we have questions, we have uncertainties, we have hopes and fears. We've got these little missing pieces that are actually define the human condition in a lot of ways. And, um, the medicine wheel is really meant to be a, a tool of crystallization to bring into focus uh, these actually kind of mysterious realms of ourselves. So you could divide 
a human being into the known and the unknown. And, 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 and even in the known, it's that which we think we know or that which we've come to believe that we call, you know, having known ourselves. And I think one of the most fundamental adjustments we need to make from time to time is a little debriefing on who and what we are because uh, we buy in. Uh, you know, we're both, you know, you're, you're a mom, you're a family person, and our identity is just very much you know, entrained in, in, in our relationship to our children, our vocation, uh, all these other responsibilities, which can become quite overwhelming. And then I think we kind of unnecessarily confine ourselves to 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 fit the most in, in, immediate things that are demanded and required of us to our satisfaction and those around us. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think we unnecessarily starve ourselves of this larger portrait of this this more bigger composite human being of who we are that really uh, everybody else is also starving for. So um, I guess I'm always looking for a point of expansion. And that point of expansion for me is that membrane between the, the, the mystery of, of the eternal self and the day-to-day -day operations of the quotidian self, you know, uh, the walk around the world people that we are. And, and making sure that those two parts of us are always in conversation, that the, the other isn't shut out. So what are some clues that you need to get back to ground zero? What are some clues if people are listening to this and thinking, wow, I don't know the last time I had a reboot. I don't, I can't even tell you the last time that I've only identified as a mother or a husband or a nine to five job for such a long time. How do I even begin that journey? Well, um, yeah, paying attention to your own behavior. Uh, those of us who are meditators, even when we're in little stretches of misery, the, <laughs> the meditation is all the more important to actually enter these feelings uh, with some courage and some, 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 transparency feeling these these different feelings that indicate discontent uh, we are human beings we we have all of these fatal flaws we can become resentful we can lack gratitude we can become jealous we can become greedy we can become victims we can become uh, tyrants um, when we start seeing this imbalance in our behavior uh, those are strong indicators. And when we start seeing <clears throat> breakdowns <clears throat> in our, uh, our health, uh, our, our sense of equanimity in, our, in our, our, our mental and emotional disposition, I think it's, we're naturally wired to look at how other people are responding to us. Like, God, I sure felt like I was in a good mood today. And, and, and everybody just seemed to like be really pissy to me today. And, and then, you know, sometimes the last place we're, we're going is like, uh, huh, yeah, maybe it is me, you know. <laughs> and and then, then you take this honest inquiry, like, what, where am I out of balance, you know? And, and in your discipline and in the, the Vedic philosophy, there is a head-to-toe inventory that you can take, you know, regardless of the system of, of yoga that you practice. Um, they, they all... I, I like what I like what Yogananda said about what yoga really is. I mean, this whole elaborate process of the Hatha Yoga, he said, he boiled it down to the whole thing 
is just getting ready to meditate. You know, um, so what would it take uh, if you take a scan of your your emotions and, and your 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 sense of self, the physiology, to come back into balance again, and then begin visualizing that, you know, and then go to that place. And then I think next thing you notice is your behavior is starting to change. You're making different decisions. So I guess the short answer to what I just gave you is like a high amount of accountability, being vigorously accountable for our own state of mind and, and having some faith that usually the, the medicine that we need is very, very close to us and only a very obtuse sort of lens is preventing you from, from seeing that. And we can get that way. The world is obtuse. We're bombarded by by the grossest energies, you know. And who knows what we're getting bombarded with, even with you know five G and uh, the general static of humanity, the collective angst, uh, stress, uh, and then our, then our own inner dynamics of self worth and stuff like that. It can create a cocktail of great toxicity until we. Like sort of just call it to order and call it into account and start asking some serious questions. And usually a retreat is required. And that could be a six-hour retreat, just walking in the woods closest to your house. Or that could be coming out, you know, in February and March with me and Vanessa and like really creating a community of, of committed individuals to like refine a series of spiritual experiences that can be gems and tools and benchmarks for the rest of our lives because certain things don't change about us you know even though we we're constantly changing um there 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 is a sense to the narrative of our lives and uh sometimes we've had these beautiful visions and experiences and we've made promises to ourselves and god that we fucking forget about it's like oh my god don't, don't you remember for 32 and you were on that mountain and you dropped to your knees and you gave thanks and you told God that you were going to dedicate your life. Mm -hmm. like, oh, I forgot, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, one of the phrases I have is returning to the elemental self. And the elemental self is one that exists a priori, any other relationship to the world. It's, it's it's that part of shared energy where the the mysterious soul energy that is the foundation of our lives is is so close, is so imparcial to that original source energy of creation. It's so close to the center of us. It's the last place we look sometimes. And so to reside in that foundational soul energy and apprehend the particulars of our lives within that point of center is inherently healing because. One thing it does is it eliminates a whole bunch of unnecessary considerations. First thing you notice is all this stuff you've been kind of wasting your time thinking about or bashing your skull over that is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it's like, um, uh, you know, uh, maybe we're, we're, we're kind of hard on ourselves sometimes. I, I know, like, uh, I have a lot of perfectionists in my life. I'm one of them where we, we, we tend to... Uh, create a lot of strife over our own perceived, perceived flaws and forget the, the, the perfection that was bestowed upon us in the very creation of our beings and stop investing in that, you know, because it is perfect. There's a time to our begging to have 
same element that exists in everything around us. Mm-hmm. That was so good. I'm sitting here shaking my head. If, if people can see, I'm like, yes, 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 brother. Um, Just the to part tie of two things together. So the medicine yeah. field, to wrap that one really is is a structure and a philosophy that brings focus to these larger, more primary considerations, which we might lose touch with if we don't intentionally remind ourselves. So it's a mnemonic tool. It's a tool of memory that is wired to the original pattern of human existence that provides and shows a map and a series of considerations and meditations and stories uh, uh, that bring us back to this uh, original self that exists uh, without any other requirements. It is in fact generative to everything around us. And who we are without all of the stuff, all of the distractions, you know, what's going on in the world right now with technology and how we're kind of coming out of a time this past year where everything was Zoom related, everything was virtual. Um, and it's so easy to get lost in the stuff and technology and who the world expects us to be. And social media wasn't even around, you know, when I was in college, but it's so a part of our children's upbringing now, you know apps and games and social media and it's constantly chasing that next like that next who's going to comment who finding your validation from an outside source and i agree with you i think we have to constantly circle back to what's important at every age you know i even have to remind my children of what's important and instill those lessons of gratitude and breath and calmness and take my own advice and own my own bullshit all the time and and hold myself accountable and valid. And I actually feel like that's such a beautiful gift that we're given, that moment you have when you realize your own BS and you go, wow, I've been telling myself I've been co-signing my own BS on this topic, whatever it may be, and rebooting and getting back. I also think geographically, because I've been thinking about this, like in Michigan, where I live, if I need to reboot, I go find a fitness class or a yoga class or, or I'll take my dogs for a walk. I'll get back to nature and I'll get back to hiking. And I think that's so true. Um, we can't have the sunshine here right now, but we can still move our bodies. We can still breathe and connect. There's always a way to do that. And if we say that there's not, it's just an excuse. Um, my body right now, I'm craving where you're at, Clint. I'm craving that sunshine, heat connection. I'm craving that. And um, maybe it's just because I don't have it. We always kind of think about what we don't have, right? Where we need to get back to our gratitude for what we do have. Um, but I just wanted to kind of give you my thoughts on what you said, because I think it's so true and so powerful. And again, this is the first conversation that you and I are having about this. And I know that other people can really find their own truth in what you're saying. 
So geography and anatomy, you know, um, there's the geography of the human body, there's the anatomy, and as you know, in the Vedic traditions, there's a visceral anatomy, and then there's a, an, an astral anatomy, there's an outer auric anatomy, and there's an, an anatomy within the earth that is parallel to the human anatomy, and some of the beautiful stories uh, from the Vedic tradition liken the human being in both its physiological and etheric anatomy is a complete uh, microcosm of, of, of the, the cosmos, you know. So if you were to take a human being and just lay it open, you know, and peel us uh, out into the shape of an orb, our circulatory system and our nervous system and our, our, our whole uh, uh, organ systems are a, a complete replicate of, of the cosmos. And um, it's one of the meditations I do for healing is I actually surgically friggin' I, I take a surgical scalpel and I, I flay myself open from the top of my head all the way down and I peel myself open and I, I shape myself to the orb that surrounds me and I ask for the points and the constellations of my inner anatomy to align themselves and reboot themselves with the prevailing macro anatomy of the cosmos and with that entrainment is a, a resonance where we begin vibing with the energies that, that we have summoned and we are you know implicitly like redesigned or, or rebalanced. And stuck energies are allowed to, to move around and, and open themselves up to these larger containers. And um, so it, it's, it, it's, it's a preventative measure you know, this process for health issues and, and, and different types of, of crises of imbalance that, that we incur in our lives. So um, you brought up geography, you know, it's pretty, I, I, I was raised in Michigan. I remember those long nuclear winters where, you know, it seems like weeks before, you know, you see the sun and um, uh, there's a whole context for that within the, the seasonal realities of the medicine wheel. And this is the time when the stories are told. This is the time when we gather around the hearth and we listen to the elders talk about previous winters. And this is the time where the wisdom of the, the, the year is, is gleaned and, and contextualized. This is the time when the little ones uh, hear the stories of the, of the grandparents, the great grandparents. And uh, they say grandma's white shroud covers the earth, you know, the snows that you see is, is her white shroud enveloping and holding the, the earth and, and that stillness and in that crystallization of, of, of wisdom. And you brought up gratitude. That's a time when we gratitude is the direct product of seeing clearly the attributes of our lives. There's no other place you can go when you get a clear look of the attributes of our condition. We were given uh, this extremely rare gift of being born a human being. Uh, sometimes we forget how rare and auspicious this opportunity is because it is so diverse in its phenomena. We suffer, uh, we, 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 we have uncertainty. We're, we're, we're these kind of incomplete beings or we're these complete beings that are trying to realize that we're complete and which, which kind of feels incomplete. And so we're kind of gathering these these pieces, you know. So these seasonal experiences, which can be on the surface kind of unpleasant and frustrating, and 
are a necessary distillation of the complete human experience that we have that we have to go through. It's a pattern and rhythm of life. And we've gotten to the point with technology where we can condition our environment to actually deny ourselves the complete contour of life out of this ridiculous notion of comfort. We're terrified of discomfort, you know, and uh, as a yogini, I'm sure you realize that the, the probably the most, you know, the best daily games are a few uh, instances of discomfort as you like recalibrate to move that prana, you know, um, and so we've become kind of uh, weak uh, as, you know, the, the old people, you know, they, they, uh, they didn't have, you know, they couldn't just fire up the, the, the gas and the heat and the electricity whenever they wanted. They, they, their, their whole adaptation to life came to the, the rhythms of these seasons. And um, we struggle a little bit to kind of meet the demands of those times. And that is where the human being really builds its constitution. And we, we actually become the, the anatomy of the earth. So when you talked about region and you talk about coming over here to Sedona and you probably noticed, I don't even use the word tours or, yeah, I don't even like the word retreat, you know, but this, this is a pilgrimage where we're aligning the inner design of our souls to the internal and external designs of the earth itself. And we visit these sacred sites and they become oracles. It's like this kind of like macro acupuncture of the earth where we, 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 we meet ourselves at these different points and the, and the internal representation of these energies are stimulated inside of us and we're gradually awakening to the, the, the powers that are really our birthright, you know? There's these tremendous traditions of walking the sacred shrines across the earth, you know, and, 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 and telling the stories of what happened as we got to that oracle. Whole process is important. The decision to shut that front door. Maybe you hop on a plane and you come out to Sedona and you see these red rocks and something inside you begins to stir and it, it, it brings tears, it brings joy, it brings anticipation. You know you're in a conversation with something that is deeply mysterious and strangely familiar at the same time, and you're rewiring your 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 your, your spiritual anatomy uh, to meet. The demands of, of really like your own evolution, you know, our, our souls are just begging us to kind of get on board with that journey, you know. Well, and I'm sitting here saying, who the heck wouldn't want to do that? I mean, you know, we um, we have to listen to that calling and that begging, you know, that you called it. Um, and I'm looking on your website again as we're chatting and I notice the next pilgrimage is path of the awakened heart yoga and the art of pilgrimage uh, end of february um and then you have another one which i was really uh interested in as well embodied writing in nature which that kind of goes back to you said you're a poet right yeah. and a writer um can we talk about those a little bit talk really? about the upcoming pilgrimage yeah. Yeah. Well, the first one you mentioned is um, a lot of what we we're just talking about in kind of uh, bringing into conscious confluence the Vedic traditions and the yogic traditions, and not just Hatha Yoga, but the whole system of understanding behind that, and the, the traditions of the Red Road and the Medicine Wheel, and in my case, 
so I'm connected to the Sichangu Sioux people and the, the, the Hunksawan Dakota people of South Dakota. I'm an, an adoptee into two families there. And basically, uh, since my 20s, uh, raised in that culture, uh, you know, you mentioned sun dancing in the Native American church. Like These are the traditional ways of my family, too. So a lot of what, what I bring to it is just how to, to try to bring the principles of a Sioux tradition and in, indigenous spirituality into an ex, accessible uh, point uh, for people who maybe are not, you know, necessarily part of that culture, but are interested in gleaning the the universal truth that they provide. So Vanessa brings that Vedic tradition. She's a yogini, and a, 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 she's gone and taken you know, instructions in India and, and done that really rigorous Vedic path of Hatha Yoga and Vedanta. And my side is more as a Sundancer and a Native American church member and the teachings of the medicine wheel and, and the, the, the Sioux ways. And a lot of time out here in the Southwest interfacing with many tribes, the Hopi and Diné and Pima people here. I've learned from, you know, a lot of my indigenous relatives and, and tribal counterparts out here. There's a lot of intertribal culture in Arizona where different tribes actually gather together too. And so distillation of some of these fundamental teachings and bring them to a point of availability within our own journey where we position ourselves in these places of beauty and power. So there's that one. And then as a lifelong writer, I've been a writer pretty much out of the shoot since I was just a little punk. And uh, I went through the whole academic trail of, you know, three degrees in writing and, uh, you know, editing literary journals. And um, um, I've been a lifelong poet, writer and editor and uh, have done journalism. And so writing has been my, the counterbalance of my whole journey. It's, it's, it's the exercise of expression by which I measure my life. So bringing uh, nature experiences and the spirituality of writing, you know, into the mechanics of writing and workshopping. Uh, is the embodied writing in nature. And Vanessa also is a lifelong writer and professional editor. And, and she comes from some different stylistic backgrounds. She's really New York in her sensibilities. Uh, I'm kind of a nature poet. I'm just kind of a, just a, a hick at, at heart, you know. <laughs> but um, so writing in nature and making ourselves available to these, these uh, conversations that occur when we position ourselves there. And then we'll be workshopping. And then uh, later in March, uh, it's been a lifelong uh, calling of mine to work with people in states of acute grief and loss, deaths in the family, uh, significant losses, um, uh, relationship losses, uh, just you know the, the, some of those big things. So we're going to create a, a group of uh, you know people. Um, working with grief and loss in March, uh, using some of these same things in sacred sites visitation, a community of spiritual support um, to integrate some of the these big changes that occur with loss. So those are the three this uh, February and March. I could not love that trio more. And I think that we can all find ourselves in writing, whether you've actually put pen to paper to process your thoughts, it's something that's universal that helps all of us. So 
I'm all over that one. If I could jump on a plane and be there, I absolutely would. Um, and I'm, again, I'm looking as we're chatting, I'm exploring with you and I highly encourage everybody to go to your website. So I'll make sure to put the link and it's Sedona sacred earth.com. But talking about loss, I wanted to read this if it's okay. There's a quote under this retreat for whole heart emerging. And this is the one about grief and loss. And the reality is that you will grieve forever. You will not get over the loss of a loved one. You will learn to live with it. You will heal and you will rebuild yourself around the loss that you have suffered. You will be whole again, but you will never be the same, nor should you be the same, nor would you want to. I I love that. I mean, I think about the loss in my life, even this past year, or those that I love so dearly that have had some of the hardest losses I've ever experienced. And there's been so many conversations about the guilt around feeling joy again, like they're not allowed to, right? And there's so much that comes along with this journey of grief. Yeah. And some of the blessings and benefits missed with this preponderance of strong emotional reactions to the loss. And that's one of the things I like to focus on is, uh, everything that you read there, you know, with that as a context, um, uh, that the the losses also bring us into deeper connection. They are not a loss of connection. They're a loss of access to a person the way that we had known them. But they do not entail a, a loss of connection to really the essence of who that person that we miss is they draw us deeper into the mystery of our soul by having taken their inevitable uh, mortal journey and conclusion into the spirit world. And it's, it's sometimes it seems like a really paltry refuge for somebody who's grieving, but we must remind ourselves it was, it was designed this way that the human condition was designed and creator designed us that we will lose a lot. There's, there's no way our evolution is not uh, linked to the integration of these losses and the acceptance of them. And it's a whole different kind of joy. And the joy is embracing the complete human condition for all of its uncertainty and, and, and uh, uh, lack of resolution. You know, there's no such thing as resolution. I've come to believe there, there, yeah. That is the resolution. No, oh, for sure. Very beautifully said. And if you can get yourself to the point of believing that, that this is not all there is. And we are all energy beings as well. That's, I mean, my belief is that when you die, that's not the end. How could it possibly be, you know, for all these energy beings? And there's too many signs I've seen and too many things around me that remind me, you know, my grandmother in particular and my um, godmom that I lost this past year. I, I feel her all around me. And, you know, that feeling, people talk about that energy, that feeling. Um, I want to make sure, since the name of my podcast is Sunny Side Up, I want to make sure we talk about you know, how to find the bright spots in those dark points in life. And I felt like this was kind of 
a good segue since we're talking about grief and challenges. Um, so tell us about a challenge in your life that you overcame and how you got through it. Well, um, there's probably so many things I could reference, but since the subject that we were just on, um, uh, I've lost two fathers. You know, there's my, my biological father some time ago in 2003, and then my adopted spiritual father uh, four years ago. And he was uh, uh, a leader and a, a, a holy person and a, a somebody greatly esteemed and needed by our people, our tribe, our clan, our family. And he, he left too soon. And um, I guess uh, that that feeling of, of, of grief, of uh, like, oh, we weren't done with what, what we were set out to do. There are all these plans we had. There are all these things we were going to do and these promises made and there's agreements and, and it was just getting started in some ways you know when when the adopted dad you know decided to make his spirit journey and and then um uh, this kind of sense of loss not just for me personally and immediate family members and my brothers and sisters but our whole community and then this larger sense of uh, uh sometimes it feels like the dark is closing in in the times that we're in like we're off the rails and and there's uh, so much uh, sublimated stress of what's happening to the planet. And so all of these things, I think, kind of enclosed upon me at once where uh, it just felt incredibly dark and uh, like almost suffocated by that darkness. And um, uh, how, how I, I won't use the past tense, how I get through that when that one comes around every once in a while uh, is to... As a matter of faith, understand that this too uh, is it, it is required of us that we experience this. It's our homework. It's our duty. It's our job. It's not something to be blotted out, avoided, or or cured, or 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 something's wrong with me where I have to stop feeling that way. It, it's actually begging us to create another connection to the larger theater of, of our own lives and to do so in uncertainty and to do so in the presence of palpable fear that this energy will not annihilate us there's not one single sensation that we will have that that can destroy us um uh, on the contrary it, it fills the larger container of our greater capacity as human beings and to enter that with some trepidation and quivering fear, but, but knowing the necessity of it as part of our journey has been, uh, you know, I, I guess I've been able to summon an ounce of courage once in a while, realizing there is no alternative, but to feel what's upon us right now and trust that that is part of the remedy is to simply feel these strong sensations of fear and loss and grief and 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 sometimes it's freaking terror you know and then suddenly something shifts and you mm -hmm. breath is there rises and and there something happens that calls your attention and you and your it's has shifted you know no absolutely thank you for sharing that um and and i know a lot of your 
your wisdom comes from experience and the research that you've done and the pilgrimages you've made. Uh, I briefly asked before this interview in some questions who your mentors are and who really inspired you in your journey. Would you mind sharing that with us as well? Yeah, we we would need another hour to go through the list, but uh, okay. I suppose since it's been a subject, you know, I would I would go to my immediate the lineage holders of my uh, uh, you know Sioux families, the medicine traditions, and watching my uncles and my aunties and uh, my elder siblings and our our uh, uh, chiefs and leaders and. Um, I've learned a lot from my uncle Leonard Crowdog, who is the uh, really the lineage holder of our whole extended clan system, um, and the last in a line of, of uh, medicine people. Um, and then uh, his uh, big sister, my mom. You know, um, just things around the kitchen table that she said. Uh, I revisit those with great appetite now because they're so few and far between. Like wishing that I'd listened more, you know, to the things that she was saying, but um, just watching my elders and um, um, how they navigate these larger questions and the things that they were trying to show us. And, um, you know, there are people through the ages that I've encountered through uh, reading and mythology and um, um, that, that have endured the things that that we that we go through and and, and left wisdom for us to find um, so those those are ones that come to mind you know okay thank you um, I was so intrigued as I was reading your answers when you and I have to share because I I think it's uh, it's very endearing and very enlightening Um with the question of mentors and inspiration. And a lot of times this past year, in particular, the names like Brene Brown or um, TED Talks or or different resources that are a little more well-known that we learn from. And then when I read your answers, you know, to say my Lakota Dakota elders, my uncle Leonard Crowdog, my father, various masters of the ages. Like I loved that answer so much. Um, and just because it felt different from the answers that I've heard in the past. And if we all stopped and thought about the elders that we've learned from, like I know I, I paused for a moment. And um, Uncle Leonard Crowdog, I have to ask Clint, can you tell us where did that name come from? Is it uh, a Native American tradition. Do, did he name himself? How did he get that name? Uh, no, it was his, uh, it would have been his great, great grandfather. Uh, and it, 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 it directly would be translated like Coyote Crow. Um, and then it became Crow Dog. But uh, there's a whole story about how uh, his great, great grandfather, uh, actually his life was saved. Uh, by, a, by a coyote one one time, and um, um, so it's it's kind of uh, that coyote wolf uh, clan. It's kind of it's a medicine too, by which that group of people are identified. That family, you know, 
And uh, there's there's teachings that go back generations and generations and generations among the seven sacred rites of the Sioux. And really, it all goes back to the white buffalo calf woman and the, the Chanupa and the arrival of the sacred pipe and the whole uh, Sioux tradition uh, and way of life uh, is a series of spiritual events that has its own mythology and I guess you could say almost theology to it. As a, a lineage holder, <clears throat> he's yeah, I, I've been kind of dependent on his interpretation of these things because there's very few people that understand them at all anymore. And and uh, just to kind of like come back around again and put a little wrap around what the, the choices I made in talking about the people of influence, what, what they have in common for me is they realized that their very lives do not really belong to them to use. Their lives belong to the people. And, and that's actually what constitutes a, the, the definition of a, a true medicine person. Um, uh, and it's a highly misappropriated term right now. This might be for another discussion in another interview. A shaman, a medicine person, a medicine man, a medicine woman. There, uh, people are misusing that phrase and that term and those words like to the end, like to a, a gross degree of misappropriation to a dangerous level. A medicine person such as you know Uncle Leonard realized a long time ago, his life belongs to his people first and to himself second. So uh, he didn't have any choice but to uh, donate his entire organism spiritually and physically to the perpetuation of a universal truth that the entire human race depends upon for survival. <laughs> so wow, and there's people like that. I mean, you could, you could, you could, uh, from many lineages all over the world of, of equal standing and value that have realized that. Mother mm -hmm. Teresa realized that her life does not belong to herself. Her life is a service to God's people. And mm -hmm. you, know, you look at somebody like the doctor, his life does not belong to himself. His life belongs to his people, the Dharma the eternal teachings of the Buddha and his Sangha and uh, the perpetuity of these teachings, uh, you know, in, in going to head generations and generations. And uh, to whatever extent each of us can locate that selfless part of ourselves that does not belong to us, that, that is the holy writ of God's decree, the creator's mission and vision, uh, that, that, that seed, that spiritual seed that was put inside of us, we, that we must maintain in order for it to come to fruition. Uh, we all have a little seed like that to share uh, that, that, that's our, our true inheritance and we care for it. Doesn't mean you know you can't become wealthy and have all these great experiences in life and you know uh, but there's certain people that they, they sacrifice out of necessity a lot of things that this larger truth can prevail through them with the realization that is not theirs, that they are not the author of this wisdom. They are the caretaker of that wisdom. I'm a little speechless <laughs> thinking about processing everything we've talked about. So what? This is not meant to be a disclaimer, but I have to say uh, there's no wisdom I've given to you that I've authored. It's really mm -hmm. I've gleaned from people such as the ones you've asked me about and mm -hmm. what I've been able to glean from from the, the process, irrespective of my own individual concerns. Mm -hmm. Well, but that's beautiful too, that you're the messenger, yeah. right? I mean, that's what this podcast is too. It's a messenger of 
anything filled with hope and tools and wisdom and how we can all get through this thing called life and find the beautiful parts of it, but then also realize, you know, some of the greatest gifts are in the challenging parts of it too. As I was editing this podcast episode with Clint, I noticed that I was going back and re-listening to things a couple times and really trying to absorb and take it all in. And so what I've decided is that I'm going to split this interview, this conversation with Clint up into two completely different episodes. So next week will be part two with Clint, and we will be talking about the journey of parenthood and fatherhood and diving a little bit deeper into what the retreats at Sedona Sacred Earth look like, feel like, what they're about, just really getting to know Clint and his heart a little bit more. And so by doing this, by making this decision, um, it'll give us time to process everything that we talked about today. And I encourage you to get a journal or get a notebook out and go back and re-listen to some of the parts that maybe resonated with you. There's so much wisdom and knowledge that Clint shared with us. And I know re-listening to certain parts, again, particularly about um, grief and spiritual journey, it's really helped me kind of on my own journey of where I'm at with all of that. So I hope it's done the same for you. So come back next week and part two with Clint. Thank you again for being a part of this sunny side up journey with me in 2021 and beyond. I have no idea where it's all going to go, but I'm grateful for every moment and every listener out there. So thank you from the bottom of my heart to yours and have an amazing rest of your week. If you are interested in being a guest on Sunny Side Up, please email me at bornsunnysideup at gmail.com and I will send you the Google form to get started. Really excited about where this is all going. Thanks for continuing to tune in and I hope to hear from you and continue this dialogue of interesting, fascinating conversations that connect us, bring us purpose, and just really help us find the bright side of everything in life.